Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. God, and I do ask you now as Sister Monk comes to teach to us the Word of God, that we would be eager and receptive to receive that Word of God, as it said in the book of Acts, that they gladly receive the Word. Let us today with gladness of heart receive the Word of God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Monk, come ahead and teach us the Word. Y'all are welcome to be seated. Yeah, can they be? Yeah, you guys can be seated, because I do have the pretty lengthy portion of scripture to read it the first. So, um, sorry, this is not centered. That's going to drive me crazy. (laughs) Um, how's everybody doing this morning? Good. I did not get an extra hour of sleep because for whatever reason, I can't sleep lately. So I'm awake until like midnight. And then I was awake at six this morning. I'm like, really? I told my dad, I said, you know, one positive about, um, time change is I was literally absolutely awake earlier than I have been in months, you know, like I'll be, I'll be up, but I'm not necessarily awake if you know what I mean on that. So, but anyways, it is good to be in the house of God. It's beautiful out today and there's no place else I'd rather be. Amen. Um, so yeah, brother pastor mentioned brother Roberts and, uh, I was good this morning. I'm good. Like I'm fine, you know, emotionally. And I walked in at the, the admin wing and I walked, like I walked in and I saw Brother Josh sitting in Brother Roberts, where Brother Roberts' desk used to be. And I was like, oh, because normally when I come in and, te- and I'm teaching, I'll go in, brother- talk to Brother Roberts for a little bit. He'd be like, what are you teaching? And I'll tell him and, you know, get like kind of a little pep talk. And it, it was like, oh, wow, that's not Brother Roberts, you know, so it kind of hit me a little bit. But we love Josh. He's awesome. He tried to do his best Brother Roberts impersonation. It was, it was good. You should ask him to do it for you sometime. <laughs> So anyways, um, I am so honored to be here this morning, and I want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Valerie uh, for the opportunity to, for the last 14 years, and I want to give honor to all of you. Thank you all for being my biggest support in growing and learning. You've shown me a lot of grace, and I am so appreciative of it. I thank you for it so much. Thank you for coming and listening and being a voice of, an, of encouragement. Um, you guys are awesome. I love you all so much. Um, so, yes, with all that said, now we're going to dive in. And like I said, I've got a, two lengthy portions of scripture to read this morning. I'm actually going to read a lot of scripture, um, but I'm Kind of just going to touch on um, different verses and different chapters, but if you take notes, I would encourage you this morning to make note of those chapters, and then throughout the week or later, you know, kind of go back and dig into those chapters a little bit, because how many know that when you're studying the Bible, the more you read, the more context you have, and the more understanding you have, so um, I definitely encourage you to do that this morning. Um, So if you want to turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, and again, you can remain seated um, just because it is a pretty lengthy portion of Scripture. 
So Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all of this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast." There shall be not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Look to your neighbor and say, be strong. Be of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For God is with you. Amen. We're going to flip over in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. And when you're there, say amen. All right. And it came to pass, verse 1, it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Say, they had a heart attack. The enemy had a heart attack. Verse 2, at that time the Lord said unto Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Everyone that had been in Egypt, they all died. Verse 5, now all the people that came out were circumcised. Everyone who had came out of Egypt that had been slaves, they had all been circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. Verse 6, for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. So all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. 
And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Verse 9, and the Lord said unto Joshua, this day, say this day, have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you? Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal until this day. So this morning, I want to talk about born in the wilderness. Um, I know we, that verse both, you know, says circumcision a lot, like 20 times, I think, in those last few verses. But I want to give some context to it. So I'm going to go back to the book of Genesis and um, just kind of give a little bit of a foundation of what circumcision is and what the purpose of it and what, um, how that connects with Joshua. So I want to talk about the Abrahamic covenant. A covenant is a solemn agreement between two or more people. It's two people coming together and agreeing on something. You're, I'm going to do this and you're going to do this. It's a covenant between those two people. The covenant between Abraham and God consisted of three separate parts. The first part was the promised land. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. That was the first part. The second part was the promise of descendants. Genesis 12, verse 2, God said, I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The third part of the covenant was the promise of blessing and redemption. Genesis 12, verse 3 says, I will bless them that bless thee, Abraham. The people who bless you, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Those are the three parts of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So when I was looking into this, actually, kind of went, ended up going a little bit of a different direction than I had originally intended um, in all of this. But in the book of Genesis, we can see that there are five separate times that God repeated this covenant with Abraham. You know, which, how many times has God told you something and he has to come back and tell you again? You know, not necessarily in a bad way, but just he reminds us of his promises, you know. And so he did that with Abraham five different times. So the first time is, was in Genesis chapter, one, uh, chapter 12. And, and so here the focus in all of Genesis had been, had been very general, had been very just to humanity, just to people. But here the focus kind of narrows in on one man and his family, Abram and Sarai. So God tells Abram to leave his home country, leave his family and his inheritance, and go where God commanded him. So many times God will come to us and he'll tell us, you know, to go, but he's not going to tell us exactly where we're going. Um, he just tells us, come out and leave what's familiar. I'm like, okay, God, it's easy for me to come out if I know where I'm going. But he doesn't always tell us the whole, give us the whole picture. Um, but by making us that step of obedience, Abraham was saying, okay, God, I trust you. I don't know where I'm going or how you're going to bring it to pass, but I trust you. I'm going to leave what's familiar. Um, I, one thing I found that was interesting in verse one, it says to leave your kindred and your father's house. In my mind, I would think kindred would, would cover all of that. I don't, I don't know why God felt like he needed to separate that. You know, Abraham, leave your kindred. That encompasses all the family. But God thought that it was important that he specify your kindred 
and your father's house. Many many times in scripture, when it talks about thy father's house, there's always a connection there with inheritance. And so not only was God asking Abram to leave his family, but he was saying, you know what, Abram, leave the inheritance, leave what you could take with you, leave it there. Um, The only thing we know about Terah, does anybody know who Terah is? He was Abram's father. So we don't really know much about him. Scripture doesn't tell us much about him um, other than that he was an idol worshiper. Um, Some historians, as I was reading about it, said that uh, Nimrod, which was the king of Babylon, had appointed Terah the chief general of his armed forces, making him the highest official in the land. Uh, He was beloved and respected by all, and he was very wealthy. So Abram had to make the choice to leave that behind because more than likely he was connected to a family that was of providence, that was of success, that was of wealth, that was an idol worshiper, you know. So not only did Abram do that, but he literally had to make a complete change in his life and turn from worshiping idols to worshiping the one true God. So that was the first time that God communicated this covenant. The second time is in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14 through 17. Verse 14 says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him. The word after there is really important. God renewed the covenant with Abram after he finally fulfilled all of the original command. Because God told him, leave your kindred, leave your home, leave your family, separate yourself. Well, okay, Abram's like, well, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to bring my cousin Lot with me. You know, that's not what God said. God said to separate it, to leave it, all of your kindred. It's not enough just to come out. Abram had come out. He had obeyed God in that. But when God gives a command, he's not going to fulfill the promise that's connected to that command until there's complete obedience. And so it was when Abram separated himself from Lot that God revealed just a little bit more of the promise. Verse 14, God said to lift up your eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and outward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou sees, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. So in chapter 12, God said, okay, Abram, I want you to go into a land and I'm going to show you. And for chapter 13, after Abram had completely obeyed God and separated himself from Lot, God showed him specifically what land he was going to give him. The third time that God communicated this covenant with Abram was in Genesis chapter 15. Abram had to fight some battles in his journey to the promise. Uh, Chapter 14 covers a battle that Abram went and fought four kings. He defeated four kings because Lot was captured. And I could go into like a whole other thing as to why Lot was captured, but I'm just going to leave you with, Lot was captured because he set his tent in the wrong direction. So take note of that. Don't set your tent in the wrong direction because the enemy's waiting to capture. But Abram came to his, came to his rescue. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna, he's, he's my family, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for him. So verse 14, when he had heard that Lot had been taken captive, he gathered his trained servants and he pursued them. Verse 16, and he brought back all the goods, meaning Abram won, he had the victory, 
And he also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So when I was reading this, it kind of stood out to me. Um, Abram had been preparing for what was next. And the season that he was waiting for the fulfillment of the promise, he had been preparing. He didn't know what the battle would be. But in order for him to have gathered trained servants, is what the Bible says, that they were trained servants and that they had been born in his own house. So these people weren't just people that he grabbed you know, along the way, like, hey, I need you. And No, these people had been born in his house and he had made the decision, I'm going to train and prepare these men for battle. So he had to have been doing some training. He had to have been doing some preparing. So we can't wait until the battle presents itself. Anybody in a battle right now? Anybody been doing some preparing that's kind of got you ready for that? Or maybe wished, man, I really wish five years ago I had been preparing for this battle that I'm in right now. Because sometimes we're blindsided by it. Sometimes we don't see it coming. You know, I think the last two years, year and a half, can, we can all relate with that. We didn't see this coming. We didn't see this battle coming. But if we had been faithful to God, we've been preparing. We've, we're, we've been ready for the fight. And Abram was victorious because he was prepared. And he was also prepared to surrender that victory back to God. In verse 23, Abram refused to accept any portion of the recovered loot except what was owed to those who had fought alongside him. You know, the king, he's like, let me give you all of this. You can have everything that you got in the, in the battle, everything in the victory. You can have it. You can have it. And Abram was like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not taking it lest you should say that you have made me rich. I'm not taking anything from you. I'm not taking anything from this victory because I, knew, I know God's promised me some things. God's promised me prosperity. God's promised me success. God's promised me the land, but I'm not willing to jeopardize the eternal promise with something that's temporary. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 says, after, there's that word again, after, these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. And he said, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. The New Living Translation says it like this. Don't be afraid, Abram. I will protect you and your reward will be great. God was saying that, you know what, you've, you've just came through a battle. You've just been fighting for, your, you know, for the life of your family. And you were victorious, but Abram, I want you to know that I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you safe. Don't be afraid of what's coming next. I'm going to protect you. And he also said that your reward is going to be great because you denied this earthly reward. Abram, you're the reward I'm going to give you is going to be so much greater if you just continue to stay faithful to me. So God gives, he's, in each one of these instances, he's given just a little bit more revelation, a little bit more detail of the covenant and the promises. In this same chapter, uh, God also told uh, Abram that it would be his own son that would be that would inherit all of these things, not just a steward of his house because Abram immediately came to God after God said, I'm going to protect you and your reward's going to be great. Abram came to me and was like, okay, God, but I don't have any kids. Like, is, am I, is, um, are am I going to give all of this to, to the servant in my house? Like, and God came back and said, no, Abram, it's going to be your son. It's going to come from you. It's going to be your child. And chapter 15, verse 6 says, And Abram believed in the Lord, 
and he counted it to him for righteousness. He believed in God, even though he couldn't see how it was going to happen. He believed God. The fourth time in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 through 2, says, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, he was an old man, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Abram, you know, he's 99 years old. I'm like, I wish you could have told me that a little bit. You know, I'm 99. There's no way I'm going to be perfect. Do you know all the things? I told a king that my wife was my sister. Okay. I, I can't, I'm not going to be perfect. And God knows that. God knows that. Um, it had been 13 years of complete silence between the two times that God had came to him and reaffirmed that, that covenant. And so, you know, Abrams, he's just been living his life. He's just been doing his thing every day, living faithfully unto God. And God came to him and gave him another piece. He said, be perfect. So in this context, it doesn't mean without fault. Thank you, Lord. But it refers to be, be upright of heart. Be sincere. Be whole, have, be whole. Be complete. That's what that means in perfect. But God knows that perfection, we can't be perfect on our own. We can't be upright in our own hearts. We can't be really sincere on our own. We can't be whole without God. And God knew that. So that's why he combined those two commands. He said to walk before me. That's required to be made perfect. We've got to walk with God. We can't just try to do it on our own. After that, in verse 5, God changes Abram's name to Abraham from exalted father to father of many. So at this time, Abram had taken things into his own hands, and they had Ishmael. And so he had one son, and God is saying, you know what, I, I'm extending this covenant. It's not just to you but it's going to be to many. They're going to be a father of many. He didn't wait until it happened. God didn't wait until, you know, after the fact, like Abraham had thousands of descendants, and then he's like, oh, now I'm going to change your name. No, God already, in his mind, it was already done. So he changed his name to Abraham before it had even happened. So the next few verses, God affirms the promise of fruitfulness and prosperity and land. And in Genesis 17, 9, the tables kind of turn a little bit. God says unto Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore. Up until this point, God's really kind of been communicating all the things that he's going to do. You know, Abram, you left your land and your kindred and all of those things. That was, and so I'm doing all of these things now, but I'm going to require a little bit more of you at this point. He says, and thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. Verse 10, he says, this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. This was what God required of Abram and his family and his descendants. It was the outward symbol of them accepting on the inside God's covenant. They were saying, okay, I accept God's covenant, but there's going to be an outward sign of that. In verse 16, Abram is then told for the first time that it would be Sarah who would be the mother of promise because God gave her a name change too. Like up until this point, God hadn't really said it's going to be Sarah that's going to 
be your wife. That's going to be the mother of promise. But here God plainly says, okay, you know, before the, the time he told him before, he's like, you know what? It's going to come from your seed. And now he's saying, okay, it's going to be Sarah. It's not going to be your concubine. It's not going to be Hagar. It's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to come from Sarah, your wife. So God just, he reveals more and more. Have you ever been there where God kind of gives you a promise and then a little bit of time passes and God just kind of gives you a little bit more, a little more insight as to what he's doing, to what he's planning to do. And this is what he's doing with Abram. So he also tells him to name the child Isaac. He's starting to give him pretty specific instructions now. He's saying, okay, you know, It's been general, but now I'm going to get specific. So it was after Abraham obeyed this command that he had an angelic visitation. I think obedience opens the the realm of the supernatural. When we're obedient to God, we're opening that to him. He he can send us visitation. He can speak to us when we are obedient. Um, And when that angel came, they affirmed that it would be Sarah, that she would have a son in her old age. And we're probably familiar with the story that Sarah laughed like, yeah, right. Oh, God, that's funny. Good one. Well, that didn't really make the angels happy. They were kind of mad about that. But in Genesis 18, 14, they said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Like, really? Like, you've seen all of these things that God has already done, and and you're still questioning? Is there something too hard for God to do? In the same chapter, verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? I thought that was interesting because it, the next uh, few verses, God begins telling Abram his, Abraham now his plans for Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, that it was a wicked place and he was going to destroy it and all of these things. But that verse, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? By telling Abraham this, he was inviting him in on his plans. God was inviting him to intercede for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think if Abram hadn't obeyed God in the act of circumcision and all of the things that God had been telling him to do, I don't think that the angels would have appeared. I think when when we hold things back from God that he asks us from, it's kind of like we're pushing back the thing that he wants to give us next. You know, that's that, that's that whole phrase, you know, that we serve God with an open hand in that, you know, like God gives us something and we can hold on to it. But as long as we're holding on to it, our hand isn't open to receive anything else. And so Abraham, he was like, you know what, God, I'm going to obey you, God. And in doing that, it opened up the supernatural to him. I think it's God trusted Abraham. He's like, you know, what? I can trust him with my plans. I can trust him with what I'm going to do here. And because Abraham had trusted God. So the fifth time and the final time that the Bible says that God gave this promise, this covenant, this reaffirmation to Abraham is in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 through 18. And it came to pass, actually, is it 15? It's verse 1, I'm sorry, 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things, there's that after again, God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, verse 2, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom you love. Get into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. So we know that the Bible says that God doesn't tempt any man. So a better translation of the word tempt there 
would be tested or proved. This was a test that God was putting Abraham through, and Abraham had to pass it. It's almost like this is the final test, Abraham. Would his faith be strong enough to trust God with the promise? He had trusted God enough to give him the promise, but did he trust him enough to give it back? Again, there's that, that's that whole open hand principle. We're familiar with the story of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain. If you're not, read that chapter. Um, he built an altar. He bound his hands and his feet. He was ready to kill the promise. And seemingly at the very last moment, God provided a ram caught in the thicket. Chapter 22, verse 16, God says, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, you've not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." Or God's repeating that covenant. There's so much prophetic power in this scripture. It's, it's not that God didn't just provide a ram in the thicket for Isaac in place of Isaac. But it's a, that's, a, that's a foreshadowing of what was to come because God became flesh as Jesus Christ. And he became the lamb. He became the ultimate sacrifice. He stepped into our place. The fullness of how the earth would be blessed through Abraham's seed it, it didn't come out. Abraham had, probably had no idea of how that would be, but we know from studying scripture in the New Testament that Abraham was a descendant, or Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. The seed, Jesus was the seed of Abraham that in large measure has brought liberty, has brought freedom, has brought salvation to the world, has brought blessing to the world. So at this point, you're probably like, okay, Jessica, what does this really have to do with Joshua? <laughs> like, could we get, what, what does this have to do with being born in the wilderness, Jessica? Well, I'm glad uh, that you asked because hopefully I'll be able to communicate that. Um, so I believe that we are in a generation, we are part of a generation, much like the generation of the Israelites who were born in the wilderness. What was around them was all they had ever known. They didn't remember the suffering of slavery in Egypt. They didn't remember the years where babies were being thrown into the Nile River. They didn't experience the plagues that had ravished Egypt. They don't remember killing the Passover lamb and applying the blood to the mantle because it was their only way of salvation. They have no recollection of being pursued by an Egyptian army on one side and the wonder and awe of that same sea being parted in two and crossing on dry ground. All this generation knows is the wilderness. Walking around in circles for 40 years, God providing manna and quell, their clothes and shoes never wearing out, nothing really being required of them, but walking when the cloud moved and camping when the fire stayed. That's all they knew. What is around us, and many, for many of us, is all we've ever known. This, this, this life, this, this walk that I have, I was born in the church. This is all I've ever known. Unlike the generation before us who, in the physical side of things, they fought wars for our freedom. I have family members in generations prior to me that literally fought wars. for, And every person in this room, I'm sure, has. 
They suffered through the Great Depression. My granny, she tells me stories of the Great Depression, and it blows my mind. I'm like, she's still living, and she lived through that. I don't know a life like that. There was no water, no electricity, no running water. They could go to the creek, I guess. Um, they couldn't just get in the car and run to Walmart. You know, I'm out of apples. I'm just going to run to Walmart. They didn't have Walmart, you know, like they had to grow their own food, you know. So also in parallel to the spiritual side, the generations before us, they weren't really handed this revelation of the oneness of God, holiness and separation of the world. It, they didn't have somebody teaching them and showing them the way and opening their eyes for them. They didn't have that. Spirit-filled churches, it's a catchphrase in 2021, it, that wasn't a common thing. If you were spirit-filled, like even probably 50 years ago, you were looked at as if you were insane, as if you were crazy, if you were spirit-filled. But it's kind of common now. There weren't churches on every corner. Many experienced persecution, not just from their enemies, but from their friends and their family for the name of Jesus. They, in my opinion, were the real first-generation Pentecostals. They prayed for the Holy Ghost to be poured out when they didn't even know what the Holy Ghost was. They just read it in Scripture, and they started praying, God, we don't know really what this means, but it's in your word, so we want it. So show it to us. We didn't have to do that. We had that example before us. We didn't have to carve it out. We didn't have to fight it out. But they did. Many of them gave up everything. Much like Abraham, much like the children of Israel, they gave up everything for the promises of God. In Joshua 5, God had just performed the incredible miracle of parting the Jordan River. So he crossed the Red Sea at the beginning of the Exodus. And right before the promise, 40 years later, everybody had died except this new generation. God parts the Jordan River. So he'd already told Joshua in chapter 1, reread it, you know, that I'm going to deliver this land into your hands to the, to the Israelites. This land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joe, you know, all, all before, I'm going to deliver it into your hands. All you have to do is to be strong and courageous, and I will be with you, and I will deliver this into your hands. It was after the parting of the Jordan River. I can't imagine, like, yeah, this incredible miracle just happened. People are probably on cloud nine. We're ready to go. And God says, stop. God says, wait a minute, Joshua. I can imagine Joshua was a bit confused. Like, um, okay, God, you just told me four chapters ago to go forward. After going in circles for 40 years, I'm ready to move forward. I'm tired of going in circles. I'm ready to go. You said to be strong and courageous, God. You said that we would overtake the land. You parted a river. And now all of our enemies are literally shaking in their shoes. They're terrified. They're dying of heart attacks because they know we're coming for them. We're coming for them. And you pick now to say stop? You want me to circumcise all the men? What? God, that's going to set us back a few days. Like, what, was, was, am I hearing you correctly, God? Or did I have some bad manna yesterday? Like, are, are you sure that you want us to stop right now? We've got so much momentum going, God. We're, we're ready. We're, we're ready to go forward and conquer. And God said, stop. I believe even though Joshua may not have understood God's timing, 
because God works on a timing all of his own. He understood the principle behind what God was asking. We've talked about circumcision already and with Abraham, and that's why I kind of went through that whole thing, the covenant, because they're still pursuing the covenant promise. They're, the children of Israel, they haven't quite got the promise yet. They're still pursuing that, that God had given Abraham all those years ago. So we talked about circumcision. It's an outward sign of acceptance of God's covenant. So because Joshua obeyed God's, in Joshua 5, chapter 9, the Lord said to Joshua, this day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Reproach means it is the expression of disapproval or disappointment. God said, I'm going to roll that away because you're obedient to me. The children of Israel have been walking around the wilderness for 40 years, carrying the reproach of a world they had left behind. When they came out of Egypt, they carried some things with them. They carried that disapproval, that disappointment with them. They carried a world of slavery, oppression, and disobedience. They were carrying those things. They had been born into it. That's, that, again, that's all, all that they had ever known. But when they stopped and were obedient to God, he rolled those things away. Their outward symbol of acceptance of God's covenant assured him that he could trust them with the promise that was literally right around the corner. It's like, if, you're gonna, if you can obey me in this, trust me. Let, let me see some kind of proof that you trust me, that you are in covenant with me, and I'm going to remove the reproach. I'm wiping it away, and I'm going to lead you into the promise. I think in some ways this morning, that's where a lot of us are. We've all come through some wilderness. I don't know the wilderness that you've came through. I don't know the wilderness that you may even feel that you may be in right now. God's provided for us. God's kept us. We're here this morning. He's performed miracles in our lives to get us where we are now. He's promised us some things, but he's not going to take us any further until like Abraham, like Joshua and the Israelites, we allow some things to be cut away from our lives. In Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, the prophet is speaking to the children of Israel, and he says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire. So in Genesis, God had gave Abraham and his descendants the mark of circumcision as a physical reminder that they were cut from the world. That is, that they were set apart to serve the one true God. In Jeremiah, God gave the people a picture of what true repentance is. The circumcision is of our heart. He was sent to preach and call the people to repent, turn from their idolatry. And Jeremiah, that same chapter of the prophet, he's reminding the people that they can't rightfully trust in the mark of circumcision for covenant blessings. Rather, they've got to experience that inner reality of a circumcised heart that the circumcision in their flesh is to signify. It, has, it starts in the heart. God's covenant of salvation, it's always been a covenant of the heart. That's where it starts. Romans 2.29, Paul says, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. 
Paul is speaking to the church in Rome that if a man has only the outward sign of circumcision, he's not, he's not truly a Jew in God's sight, if it's just outward. The true Jew is one who is circumcised of the heart, one who is separated from or cut away sin. He doesn't merely have the written law, but he's been circumcised by the Spirit and possesses the law of the Spirit, which is written in his heart. Romans 2, 26, a few verses prior to that, because you know, like, okay, we'll just get your, that's the Jews. Like, we're not, not, well, some of you might be Jew. I'm not a Jew by descendant. Um, so, okay, well, a Jew, which is one inwardly, that of the heart. Okay, well, I'm not a Jew. Well, if we read back a little bit in verse 26, he, Paul addresses the uncircumcised, or which is referring to the Gentiles, which is us. Everyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. So therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, so if we, the Gentiles, if we keep the law, if we keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So if we follow the righteous requirements that God will reward us as though we were a circumcised Jew, because the promise was to Abraham and his descendants. That's who the original covenant promise was to. But by Jesus coming, he opened that up to us. He said, you know what? I'm going to extend this covenant that I made with Abraham and the children of Israel. I'm going to extend this to the whole world because God's love is for everyone. God's love, he loves every single person, and he made a way for us to come to him if we follow the righteous law. So what is circumcision of the heart? John Wesley, who which was a famous preacher, I think in the 1800s, he said the circumcision of the heart is a radical change. It's not, you're not, it's a radical change, meaning people are going to notice. It's not just a change I'm going to make here under the table. I'm going to make, you know, oh, I'm changed on the inside. Nobody else needs to see it. No, it's radical. Have you ever seen someone who's radical? Brother Brett is radical. Did you all see him run the, run the aisles in his wheelchair last week? Was anybody else a little convicted? I was, I have wrestled with it all week, and I've asked the Lord to forgive me. That's radical worship. That's a, because he has experienced the promises of God. He's, ex- he's experienced the radical blessings of God, so he's going to in turn be radical in his worship to God. So that's, that's a radical change. That's the circumcision of the heart. It's an inner transformation where by faith we receive humility, faith, hope, and love. That's what John Wesley said. So I'm going to look at a few portions of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse 13, the New Living Translation I'm reading from. It says, I'm asking you to respond as if you were my own children. This is Paul saying, like, listen to me. I'm your, I'm your parent right now. I want you to listen to me and respond to me like you would a parent. Open your hearts to me. Verse 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Don't make alliances that are inconsistent with your faith. Don't even, don't make alliances. Don't become part of that team if it's not consistent with what you believe. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? Verse 15, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. 
And God, as God said, I will live in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. Come out. Don't even touch it. And I will welcome you. Verse 18, I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Who has the Holy Ghost in here? Been filled with the Spirit of God. We have God's Spirit living with us. There is no closer relationship than that. To have His Spirit living with us, we are already in close covenant relationship with Him. And because of that, we have a responsibility to live a life of separation and sanctification. He's filled us with His Spirit, He leads us, He walks with us, and now it's our responsibility to live a life of separation and sanctification. Just because you're filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't mean that God's going to do that work for you. No, he did the work when he put his spirit in you. Now it's your job to say, okay, I'm going to separate myself from some things. I'm going to sanctify myself to God for his purpose. And because he lives in me, that's my part of the covenant. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 through 16, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? Finally, something that just, God, what do you require from me? God, I'll do whatever you want me to do if you'll just tell me what you want me to do. God requires to fear and worship the Lord your God with all filled reverence and profound respect. To walk That is to live each and every day in all of his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. When soul there, it means with your choices, your thoughts, with your whole being. That's everything. That's all encompassing. When you say your soul, that's everything. We're to live our lives pleasing to him. Verse 13, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, the heavens and the highest of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth and all that is in it. God owns everything. He's he's so great. He's so powerful. He's so big. He has everything. He doesn't need anything. Verse 15, yet the Lord had delight in loving your father's. The Lord has set his affection on them. He chose their descendants after them. You above all people, as it is this day. Verse 16, so circumcise, that is remove sin from your heart. And be stiff-necked no more. Stop being stubborn. Stop being obstinate. Um, Halio thinks I'm... We have this whole conversation back and forth. I can be, well, he says that I'm stubborn, but I just, I tell him I'm persistent. I'm not stubborn, I'm persistent. So now, now he, he says that now, but it's always with kind of tongue in cheek with a little mischievous grin on his face. But yeah, so he'll, he might like that. He might start calling me stiff-necked. He'd be like, stop being stiff-necked, <laughs> which is kind of fun because I think I would laugh if somebody told me that. You're being really stiff-necked right now. So, but Stop being stubborn. God chose you. You are precious to him. Out of everything in the world, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't require, like, he doesn't need it. And yet, 
he set his affection on you. You're here today because God loves you, because God chose you. And all that's required is for you to love him, to be pleasing to him, to stop being stiff-necked. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I believe that the promise is on the horizon. I can see, I can almost feel it in my spirit. The promises for your family, for living hope, for this community, the prophecy that has gone forth over this community over the last 35, 40 years, it's on the horizon. It's right there. We can almost taste it. But God is saying, we've been in the desert long enough. God's now calling us out of that place of wandering. But he's not going to call us out of something without bringing us into something better. I know pastors, I, in talking with him in conversation before, I've heard him say before that if you're facing a decision in life, kind of finding, trying to find your direction, make sure, make sure when you're deciding which way to go that you're, not, that you're running to something and not away from something. Living Hope, we are running to something. Our, we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. Nothing else matters. We can leave the things behind us because we're not running from those things. God's already taken care of those things, but we are running. We're pressing toward the prize of the high calling that because we are a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. So God's calling us out of darkness and into light. Light brings revelation, right? How many know that revelation sometimes isn't always fun? You know, when you walk into, you know, you want maybe one of your children's bedroom, and, you know, when you saw it yesterday, it was nice and clean and tidy, but you walk in and you flip the light on and you can see utter chaos. That's not always a fun feeling. Like, you know, that's kind of how it happens when God flips the light on in our lives. When he shines that light into our lives, things that were hidden start to become revealed, whether we've hidden it ourselves or whether it's been hidden by the enemy. It's kind of twofold. You know, we shout, we're excited when God starts shining the light on the tricks of the enemy. Like, oh yeah, I knew that was coming. The enemy's trying to come after me, but you know, the light that God is bringing into my life, I can see it coming. And so I'm going to avoid that. That's a good thing. But, and sometimes we even rejoice when God shines the light in someone else's life, you know, um, I'm talking about, you know, if someone's a murderer and they face justice, of course, right? Not when, you know, the Bible says, we love the scripture that says things that are done in secret will be shouted from the rooftop. You know, we like that when it applies to somebody else, you know, that, that's, that's a good thing. But not when it comes to me, I'm like, okay, no, God, I've hidden this. I, I don't want you to shine the light on this, God. Can, can we leave this, this one over here? Let your light be over here, not, not here, God. I, I want to keep this one over here. Sometimes we're okay with God leaving, you know, this or that in the dark. But the thing is, we don't get to choose what's revealed in the light. We only get to choose whether we step into the light. We have to make the decision to exchange the darkness for light. It's not just a little bit here and a little bit there, but it's a complete change. It's an exchange. It's not a little bit. Each time God repeated his covenant to Abraham, he was faced with a choice which in a lot of ways, parallels to the choices the children of Israel were faced with after they crossed the Jordan River. I think maybe some of us might be faced with those same choices today. God was saying, okay, 
when he was revealing this covenant, God had to ask, Abraham had to ask himself, will I go or will I stay where it's familiar? That was the first time. The second time, will I truly separate myself from all of the people of my past? All of them, even if they're trying to come with me, even if they appear to be coming with me, God, are you really asking me to separate myself from all of the people? Am I willing to do that for the promise? The third one, no, pages are sticking together. Abram had to ask, am I willing to fight this battle? Better yet, am I prepared to fight this battle? Have I put in the time and the effort that it's going to take for victory? And when I win, because if God's on our side, we win, will I give the reward back to God? Or will I keep it for myself? The fourth thing Abraham had asked himself, will I obey when God wants to cut some things from my life? Can God trust me with his plans? Can God trust me to intercede on the behalf of a people that are wicked. Now, then the fifth thing, am I willing to trust God with the promise? The thing that I love, the thing I prayed for, will I give it to him as a sacrifice of worship? We always have a choice. This morning we have a choice. It's up to us whether we allow God to exchange the reproach of the past for the promise. It's our choice. Can't have both darkness and light because light dispels darkness meaning it pushes it away. It's dark. Light replaces the darkness. Revelation, again, if God's shining the light on some things in your life this morning, or maybe he's been working on you all week, it's not meant to condemn or to embarrass you. In his love and wisdom, he brings revelation into our lives because it's his mercy. Romans 2, 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness. It's his love. It's his mercy. And it was the goodness of God that brought the children of Israel, those who had been born in the wilderness, to renewed covenant relationship with him. He's now giving all of us the opportunity to deal with whatever it is in our lives that's keeping us in the wilderness. You know what it is. I don't know what it is. But you know what it is this morning. It's not his plan for you to remain there. I heard someone say once that they didn't want to study the Bible because they knew they would then be accountable for what they learned. That's Kind of, I mean, it's true. Once you're taught it, once you learn it, once you understand, you're accountable for that now. So, but I can't imagine being like, yeah, it's, it was pretty heavy. But so I, in closing, I wonder why the generation born in the wilderness hadn't been circumcised. That had been a part of their culture, a part of their lives for hundreds of years. But were they not taught that that was part of the covenant? Did their parents not teach them? what they had been taught all those years in Egypt. Most of us here this morning have been taught the principles and precepts of the word of God for years. If we've not, many of us have been born in this. Some of us haven't, but some of us have. Some of us cut our teeth on Acts 2.38. You know, I've, I think I probably quoted it when I was four. But we're accountable for what we know. We're now accountable. And there is a generation of people in this community that are walking through the doors who don't know the God of deliverance quite like we do. There's a generation at the edge of their promise and they're walking in and they're depending on us to be the example, to teach them, to show them that, you know, it's not just what you can get from God, but when you're in covenant relationship with him, it's what you bring to him. 
there's a generation of young people and children coming up that they're depending on us to hold fast that which we have learned and to pass it on. We can't just hold on to it. We have got, we are accountable for what we know to pass it on. We hold the answers. We have the key to promise. Living Hope, don't go back. This is my last time teaching. I don't know what could happen between now and the next time I come back. But continue moving forward. I want to charge you this morning. Hold fast to the doctrines of the word of God. Hold fast to the oneness of God. Holiness, separation, sanctification, baptism in the name of Jesus. Hold fast to those things and teach them. Teach them to the people coming in. Be that example. Be that light that God uses to shine in their darkness. Stay in covenant with him for them. Even if you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for them. Do it for Izzy. Do it for Dakota. Do it for those children that are coming up that are depending on us to share with them the promises of God, the delivering power of God. Back to Joshua chapter 1 verse 7, and I'm going to leave you with this. Be strong and very courageous. Observe to do according to all that the law says. Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left because you're going to prosper wherever you go. This book of the law, don't let it depart out of your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Let it be in your spirit. Observe to do all that is written in the Bible. Don't just take bits and pieces of it, but meditate on it and try to do all of it that it says. Verse 9, God has commanded you, be strong and have a good courage. Don't be afraid. I know that the world is it's in chaos right now, but don't be afraid because God is with you and he's going to be with you wherever you go. If we could all stand, I am finished. And I actually went over time. I apologize. But I know, I know God has promise for living hope for each and every family in this building, each and every person. And I know when I come back, whenever that may be, I don't know with you know, chaos in the world, but I think I'm going to come back to a living hope that has made some changes for the better and doesn't look the same. You know, that they move forward into the things that God has promised them. Love you guys. Thank you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.